Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, tap someone next to you and say, buckle up. We're getting into the word, all right? For the next three and a half hours, I got a sermon. It's going to be great. (laughs) You don't want me to preach for three and a half hours. You can barely tolerate 45 minutes of me. Uh, all right, hey, uh, we're going we're gonna to jump into the Word. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, let me introduce you to a series we've been in for the last couple of weeks. We just started it. It's called All Hail. Everybody say All Hail. Got to be super careful when you say that so you don't accidentally cuss in the process. All Hail. Uh, yeah, it's okay. Pastor joke. It's fine. Um, but uh, we've been talking about all things worship, specifically what happens when individuals or a group of people gather together and they lift up their voices and they sing. Uh, and if you, again, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, please go back and check out last week's sermon. It is kind of the foundation of this series. You can do it on YouTube or on the podcast, but I'll do my best to catch you up to speed. Um, last week, we discovered, uh, based on another national statistic done by the Gallup folks, uh, that worship is, in fact, one of the least prioritized or lowest values in the body of Christ. When people were asked why you come to church, uh, worship was the last thing on the list, and above it was things like sermons and kids' ministry and fellowship with other believers. But Singing songs to God was not a high priority for folks. Many treated it just kind of like stretching before the workout. You know, it was like, okay, well, we got to stretch so we don't hurt our muscles, but we're getting to the real work soon. We're going to work out. Uh, But we debunked that myth last week. We discovered that worship is, in fact, one of the most powerful things that we can do as believers, one of the most significant things, because worship is the primary vehicle that God has given to us to draw near to him. We all have this desire, if we've made a decision to follow Jesus, to be near to him. And worship is the vehicle whereby we draw near to God. That was our thesis. The purpose of worship is nearness. And we looked at Psalm 100, which has been mentioned twice already this morning. I'll mention it one more time. But the prescriptive method that Scripture has given us to enter into the presence of God is to come with thanksgiving. We get through the gates. Praise gets us through the courts. And then, as we saw last week, grace brings us to the very throne of Jesus. And it was powerful last week as we worshiped together. Uh, Today, we're going to enter into the second uh, teaching on worship. Last week was all about purpose. This week is all about power, the power of worship. It is, in fact, the subtitle of our series. Uh, If this was a record or an album, this would be the title track, all right? Today is the title track of the sermon because we're going to talk about the power. And if you're wondering, yes, every one of these sermons is going to have a P word attached to it because we know how much Jesus loves alliteration, all right? So today is about power. And I want to offer you a thesis as we jump in, uh, as we did last weekend. And it's very simple, but if you're a note taker, you can write this down. Here it is. Freedom is found in God's presence. How many believe that today? Freedom is found in God's presence. Say it with me. Freedom is found in God's presence. I don't know about you, but I like freedom. I want to experience freedom in this life. I want to be free to serve Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to be free from the man that I used to be and all of my past and all of my sin and all of my shame. I want to walk in victory and confidence in Christ. I want to be free from depression and anxiety and people's opinions of me and their judgments of me. I want to be free of all that dead old religion. Come on, I want to be free to walk in the fullness of what Jesus has for my life. I think that is an innate desire in every believer, the desire for freedom freedom. And today we're going to talk about how we step into that freedom, because here's the deal. It is the desire of the father that every one of us would walk in freedom. 
It is the promise made to every believer. If you are a follower of Jesus today, part of the package deal is that you get some freedom in the process. We just read about it this week in our Bible reading plan. If, uh, if you're following along, you read Luke 4 this week. If not, I wanna invite you to jump in. You can go to our app right there. The, the first thing you'll see is our read campaign. You can jump in at any time. We're reading through the New Testament together. But this week we read Luke 4. And in Luke 4, Jesus tells us that his desire is freedom for us. Right after he was in the desert being tempted by Satan, he walks into church on a Sunday morning. He grabs the sermon notes from the, the preacher on stage and he says, I'm gonna take over from here. That would be an awesome Sunday here at the Father's house. And he opens up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he begins to read what we now know as Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bring beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, gladness for a spirit of despair. And then he gets into some freedom language. He said, he sent me to open up every prison door and to bring freedom to every captive. That's freedom right there. And then Jesus grabs the scroll, he drops it like a mic. Drops it like it's hot. And then he, he looks at the, the congregation. He says, today, that scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Translation, the guy Isaiah was talking about is standing right here in front of you. I am the one whom the spirit of the Lord is upon, and he has anointed me to set you free. If I'm here, then freedom is available to you. But, but then, after Jesus ascends, the apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, he says, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's also freedom. In other words, Jesus doesn't need to be on the planet walking among us to he here today on a Sunday morning for us to experience freedom. When we lift our voices, come on, when we begin to worship and we invite the spirit of God into a rented space on a Sunday morning, the same reality that took place when Jesus was on the planet takes place right here in our midst and freedom comes into this environment. Come on, how many believe that today? Preach with me, come on, we're gonna have more fun if you do. And today we're gonna lay hold of some of that freedom. I believe it's gonna go beyond concept and theory and it's gonna be experience for many in the room today. Uh, in fact, I'd word it like this in light of our series. Today we're gonna to learn how to worship our way into some freedom. And in order to do that, we're gonna look at the book of Acts chapter 16, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there now, but let me provide a little bit of context before we go to our key text. Uh, in this story, you're gonna see a couple of characters, Paul and Silas, ministry partners. And in this setting, Paul and Silas have found themselves in Philippi, in the area of Greece, and they are preaching the gospel in an attempt to start a church for the first time in this region. And uh, as they go about the city preaching the church, there's a, a young woman who's following them around, and she's starting to annoy Paul and Silas. Scripture tells us that she's a slave girl, and her masters have been using her to tell the fortunes of people in the city to earn an income. And the way whereby, whereby she's able to tell other people's fortunes is, is, is through demon possession. Somehow the demon inside of her is giving her wisdom about the future and she is telling fortunes of people and her, her handlers are making a profit as a result of it. So as she follows Paul and Silas around the city, she announces everywhere they go, these men are here to tell you how to be saved. And Paul apparently gets annoyed with that. And eventually one day he turns around, has a little curbside exorcism with her and he commands the demon to come out of this girl. And as the demon comes out, so does the ability to tell the fortunes of other people in the city, which irritates her handlers because now they don't have the ability to make money off of this poor young girl. So they grab Paul and Silas and they drag the two of them before the authorities of the city and they say, these guys are troublemakers and they deserve to be imprisoned. And uh, the authorities agree, so they beat Paul and Silas to a pulp and then they shove them away into a Roman prison. Moral of the story, don't go to the neighborhood psychic and start casting out demons. It'll get you beaten and thrown in jail, all right? Just a little piece of advice from me. 
But it is here in this Roman prison that we get to experience the power of worship on display, the power of worship to bring freedom to any environment. And and the story picks up in Acts 16, verse 25, where we read, uh, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed they'd escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived with him. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and he washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. The doors flew open and every prisoner's chains fell off. That sounds familiar to me. That sounds like Jesus. The spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to open prison doors and to set free every captive. Someone say freedom today. Come on, say it like Braveheart today. I want to title this chat today, Chain Reaction. Chain Reaction. Let's, uh, Let's pray. Holy Spirit, meet with us right now in your house. We're gathered here not to uh, check a religious box, not to hear somebody talk, not to sing karaoke. We're here because we actually believe that your presence and your word have the power to transform us. And we pray this reality that was written down years ago by the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We pray that that reality would take place in our midst before we leave this place today. Specifically, I ask for those who walked in this morning with years of pain, trauma, addiction, sickness, whatever it is, whatever version of prison they find themselves in, let today be a day of great liberation in the spirit. We believe you for it in the great name of Jesus and the church said, amen, amen. Uh, Years ago, when I was in my 20s on a worship team, which was years ago, I know it's shocking, I know, okay, maybe not. But uh, years ago when I was on a worship team in my 20s, uh, one of the other team members handed me a book. It was part of a teaching curriculum that the worship team was using uh, entitled The Power of Sound. And it was written by a guy named Joshua Leeds, who was not a believer. It was a secular book. And uh, Joshua was a medical researcher focusing in on sound therapy. His thesis, uh, his hypothesis was that certain kinds of music or certain kinds of sounds carried with them therapeutic and healing qualities. And his research included the effect of sound and music on water because he considered the fact that humans are made up of predominantly water and if he could prove that sound had the ability to affect the molecular structure of water, then it could in fact change the composition of the human body. And it was a fascinating read. He did prove through his research that sound, music, both positively and negatively, can affect the human body. Uh, But I I remember one of the statements he made at the end of that book, and it stuck with me years later. I think about it often. He, He said this. He said, music has the power to either resonate or reverse your reality. In other words, music has the ability to amplify what you're already feeling or to adjust your life accordingly. 
Now, that might sound far-fetched to some of us in the room, and maybe you work in the medical field, and you're like, I don't need to buy into this hippy-dippy doo-wah sound therapy stuff. Give me some real medicine. Give me the drugs, all right? I don't need essential oils and yoga to feel better. But I would submit to you that all of us have probably experienced at least a version of that reality. In fact, many of us use music to do just that, to resonate with what we're currently experiencing or to reverse our current reality. Uh, let me prove it to you. Um, Isaac, you ready? I offer you exhibit A in this teaching. Okay, please stop. Okay. <laughs> I won't ask how many of you like listen to that recreationally, but there are people who do. And the reason that they do is because it resonates with who they are. They're angry. They want to harm people. They are preparing some coup to take out the government. You know, like people listen to that kind of music often and it resonates with what's happening on the inside of them. But that same music also has the power to reverse your reality. For example, let's say it's seven o'clock on a Monday morning and you're tired from the weekend, but you know you need to work out. So you go into the gym and you put your earbuds in and you start listening to some death metal music. And all of a sudden you're like, it's like audio creatine for you, you know? It shifts some things. Uh, exhibit two, please. Hey. Just wanna dance with my girl right now, hey girl. Bring in that 90s low voice. Hey girl, you know I love you. I've always loved you. Okay, turn it off. <laughs> now there's a reason you don't hear that music playing in the gym on Monday morning at seven o'clock. Why? Because it would resonate with your current reality. You're exhausted and even if you walked in with any motivation and that music started playing, you're like, you know what? I just think I'm gonna take a nap real quick. I'm just gonna... Right now. It can resonate or it can reverse your reality. See, the reverse of that would be my brain, maybe like some of yours, is A-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D. And that kind of music really helps me focus. I, I, when I usually spend 15, 20 hours putting the sermons together in any given week, and when I go into my office, I light a, a, a little, I don't light it, I turn on a diffuser, an essential oil diffuser, judge me all you want, that's fine. Uh, and then I turn on some chill hop music, and that kind of music calms my brain Make sure that I'm not going a thousand miles a minute and I'm able to focus while I study. It can reverse your reality. Last one, let's try this one out. If you wanna stand, you can stand, that's okay. I think we're gonna let this one play for a couple minutes, keep on. Sing it if you know it, here we go. That pastor has a past, doesn't he? <laughs> now, there's two ways you can use that song. It can resonate or it can reverse. Resonate, it actually is Friday night and you feel all right. And there is a party on the west side. So you get in your big black truck and you sort it out. Okay, yeah, that, that is the reality. 
Or to the alternative, to reverse, it's Tuesday evening at 5.30 and you're on the Bay Bridge stuck in traffic <laughs> and you're irritated and you need to remind your soul that Friday is coming and it's going to be all right. And there's a party waiting for you on the west side of the city. One resonates, the other one reverses. One amplifies, the other one adjusts. You get the picture. Music is powerful. It has the ability to adjust our mood, to take us from sitting in traffic irritated to putting a smile on our face. There's power in sound. And as we say so often around here, as it is in the natural, so it is also in the spirit. Worship is powerful. Worship has the ability to completely reverse your reality. Worship has the ability to adjust the reality that you're facing and bring freedom into your environment. And that is ultimately what Acts 16 is, is displaying for us to see today. It's showing us that worship is not reserved for environments where it resonates with what you're feeling, but perhaps one of the most powerful kinds of worship is the one that contradicts what you're facing right now into an environment where it doesn't make sense and it is there where the power of worship is released to bring freedom to your life. Let's unpack this a little bit more. Back to Acts 16. If you look at the scenario that Paul and Silas find themselves in, nothing about this situation says, now would be a good time to worship. This is a very anti-worship environment, namely time and location. Let's start with time. Scripture tells us it's about midnight when these guys start singing. Midnight is not a good time to sing. Midnight is not even a good time to be awake. Come on, all the old people said amen. Yeah. I know some of y'all are in your 20s still, and like you can stay up till one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. I know that because you text me sometimes at one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, yo, I'm a grown man with kids. What are you doing texting me at two o'clock in the morning? But I'm like nearing 40. I don't even know what midnight looks like anymore, all right? I cannot remember the last time I stayed up till midnight. How many like me, and it's New Year's Eve, and you're watching the ball drop in New York with the kids at nine o'clock, and you're like, cool, all right, now I can go to bed. Thank you, Jesus. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's my life. And, and Paul here, in this scripture, he's in his late 40s. He's got no business singing at midnight. And let's remember, these are the new guys on the cell block, all right? They just got locked up that day. I'm sure the other prisoners are not pumped about the fact that the two new guys are deciding to sing at midnight while the rest of them are trying to sleep. This is an inappropriate time to sing. Furthermore, this is a Roman prison. And, and historians would tell us a Roman prison was not the kind of environment you expected to find worship music. They actually kept the ceilings in Roman prisons at about four feet tall so that prisoners would have to hunch over and they felt claustrophobic. It was a part of the pain and trauma of being incarcerated. And the Roman prison system shared the sewer system with the city. So these men were not only chained to the ground among other men, but they were literally sitting in the sewage. Anything that came down the toilets from the rest of the people in Philippi was making its way into their prison cell. And let's remember, Paul and Silas were just beaten a few moments earlier. So you got a couple of guys who are sitting in a prison cell with open wounds and sewage right beneath them, hunched over in the dark. Nothing about that scenario says, let's just lift up our voices and sing real quick. <laughs> Some of us have a hard time worshiping in a rented building, you know? Like, oh, it's cold in here. It's too hot in here. <laughs> hey, try hunched over in poop. <laughs> not a great worship environment. And yet Paul 
and Silas said, this is the perfect place in a Roman prison for us to lift up our voices and begin to sing to our God. Not just any song either. Scripture tells us exactly what they were singing. It says that at midnight they were singing hymns to God. And that word hymns in the New Testament, it's actually an Old Testament phrase. And it refers to what the Jews would have known as the great halal. It's a collection of seven psalms, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 and Psalm 134. And as you begin to look at the lyrics of the songs these guys were singing, it only adds to the idea that this is, this is a very inappropriate time to be singing these kinds of songs. In fact, let, let me give you a sampling from their set list just so that we can gain some perspective. Psalm 113 says, Who can com be compared to the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high? He stoops to look down on heaven and earth. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes. Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. All you who fear the Lord, trust him. He is your helper and your shield. Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy because he bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called to the name of the Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is, how good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and he saved me. Psalm 118, the Lord is for me so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. Those are great lyrics, but that's a contradiction, friends. None of these lyrics resonate with what Paul and Silas are experiencing right now. None of those lyrics seem appropriate for the setting. It's kind of tone deaf. What, what can mere man do to me? Um, he can beat you, put you in a prison cell in chains, and sit you down next to some sewage. That's what he can do to you. I will look in triumph over my enemies. Really? Because it doesn't look like triumph right now. It looks like you're incarcerated. It looks like you're hanging out in sewage. Like This does not look like you're winning. This seems to be an inappropriate song. But in lifting up their voices in the middle of a contradiction, thank God, a couple of thousand years later, we get to witness what worship can do in an environment where it doesn't make any sense. We get to witness the power of worship on display. And as our title suggests, we get to witness how worship actually has the ability to create a chain reaction, a chain reaction. Uh, the dictionary defines chain reaction as a series of events, each produced by the prior. But I want us to consider today that there is another chain reaction that we can identify in this text, one that, that's specific to the power of worship and freedom. And again, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, but here's the thought. Chains themselves must react when we worship. Come on, that'll preach all by itself. Chains themselves must react when we worship. In just a few moments, we are going to worship again. And when we do, I believe that chains are going to react to the sound of our voices. But before we do that, let me give you three chain reactions that I believe are gonna take place in this room. And I'll do it briefly so that we have time to, to sing again. Number one, my worship has the power to set me free. My worship has the power to set me free. It is obvious in this text that 
Paul and Silas experienced freedom as a result of their worship. When they lifted up their voices in a prison cell, it says that their chains fell and their doors opened. They experienced 2 Corinthians 3.17. The Spirit of God entered into that space, and where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And I don't know where you come from or your religious background, but I'm still a little bit old school. I'm still a little bit Pentecostal, and I actually believe that those environments still exist. I believe that a group of believers can gather together and lift up their voices, and in one moment, in the presence of Jesus, years of addiction, years of sickness, years of pain, years of trauma can be immediately set free. I believe in the environment. I will go to my grave preaching that because I've seen it time and time again. I'll be 85 years old up here going, I believe in one moment in the presence of Jesus. Oh. A little slower in those. Oh. <laughs> can change everything. I believe that. Come on, if you're at the Father's house, fair warning, you're in a church that believes one moment in the presence of Jesus can change everything about your life. But I think it's important that we remember why Paul and Silas find themselves in prison here. Because they're not in prison as a result of what they've done. They they didn't do anything wrong. They're not in there because they murdered somebody or they incited an insurrection against the government. They're there because they were doing the right thing. They were telling people about Christ, just that others around them didn't agree with them about what they were doing, and so they locked them up. And if we're not careful, we can develop a theology, a belief system, a religious mindset that buys into the idea that the only people Jesus is interested in liberating from prison are those that are wrongfully there, those that did not earn their way into prison in the first place. It plays out like this. Well, I know I'm in a prison cell of isolation, but that's because I broke up with the boyfriend that didn't love Jesus, and I don't hang out with the friends anymore that, that used to party, and you know, now I'm set apart for the cause of Christ, and I'm in my own prison here, but God will set me free. I don't deserve this. I, I stood up for Jesus at my workplace, and I was fired, so now I, I'm, I'm in a prison cell of unemployment, but the Lord will rescue me from it. Yeah, yeah, he will, and that's true, but... Be careful that we don't buy into the idea that, well, if I earned this one myself, if I sowed into this, then I'm reaping this. If I, if I, I deserve the guilt, I deserve the shame, I, I deserve the pain that I'm going through because I, I did all of this to myself and so now there's not a song in the world that can set me free. That's where a lot of us rest. But, but let's remember for a moment who Jesus is. Let's remember the simplicity of the gospel. Again, we read it just this past week. Did Jesus only come for those who didn't deserve to be in prison? No. He came for the sick, not those who weren't aware that they needed a savior. He came for those that were broken, for those that society had already outcast. He came for the downcast, the reject, the failure, the people that earned their way into prison. That's who Jesus came for. Jesus befriended the prostitute. Jesus enlisted the tax collector. Jesus associated with the disreputable and everybody else in, in society that would say, oh, you belong in prison. No, that's who Jesus liked to hang around, which is good news for some of us here today. Because, hey, if we buy into a theology that Jesus is only interested in the people that don't need to clean themselves up, then we're all dipped, friends. Because I hate to break it to you, you are a mess. We've all found ourselves in a self-imposed prison. We've all found ourselves locked up in a prison of our own making. To quote the great prophet Scott Stapp from the band Creed. (laughs) Quarters in session, the verdict is in. No appeal on the docket, 
day, just my own sin. Yes. It's a good Scott Stapp for those of you who know. But we have, haven't we? Haven't we all found ourselves in our own prison? Years of abuse of drugs and alcohol landed us in a prison of addiction. Years of sexual promiscuity and pornography landed us in a prison of sexual brokenness. Years of neglect landed us in a prison of divorce and estrangement from our children. Years of unresolved offenses landed us in a prison of unforgiveness. Go down the list. We have all landed ourselves in a version of our own prison. But Jesus doesn't stay away from us when we find ourselves locked up there. Jesus doesn't say, well, you got to find the key and get yourself out and then we can hang out together. No, my Jesus, your Jesus, the Jesus of scripture, he walks right into the middle of your self-imposed prison and he sits down next to an incarcerated individual sitting in their own sewage and he says, if you can worship me here, if you can lift up your voice here at midnight when you've been beaten down and broken and it makes no sense, then rest assured, I am among you. I will set you free. I will rock the foundations of this prison cell and I will liberate you once and for." Oh, come on, how many grateful that you serve a God that walked into your own prison cell, didn't leave you to rot there in a prison of your own making, but said, I'm walking into the middle of your mess and I'm here to set you free. I got a cell phone waving at me at the top. Hallelujah, I see you. Hey, like a U2 concert. I like it. <laughs> my worship can set me free. Number two, my worship has the power to set other prisoners free. My worship is the power to set other prisoners free. What did it say in Acts 16? All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Every prisoner fell off. Yes, Paul and Silas were set free as a result of their worship, but there were some other people in that prison cell that also experienced a chain reaction, that experienced the result of someone else's worship. And this is such a powerful picture. I, I, I want you to see this. Uh, I'm going to borrow a couple guys. Cassie, Dylan, Eric, come on up here. Uh, Eva, will you come on stage? Come on, Leah, come on up here. Matt, let me borrow you real quick. Come on up here. Come on up here. Uh, okay. I'm using the same illustration I used a couple weeks ago. Judge me all you want. I'm trying to be a good steward. Stand <laughs> nice. Oh, I'm falling. Touch him, Jesus. Matt, come over here. Come over here. Come over here. Okay. Let you wrap that around your wrists, please. It's like a magician. <laughs> <laughs> Put that on your wrists. Follow along, follow along. There you go. Put those around your wrists for me. Thank you. Let's tie you up a little more. Okay. All right. So, in Roman culture, it was not uncommon for prisoners to not only be chained to the ground in some stocks, but actually to be chained to one another in the prison cell. And the thought process was, if someone was to wiggle free from their stocks then they would still be unable to escape because they were tethered to all of the other prisoners. Thus, the only way for one prisoner to go free is if every prisoner got to go free. Did you hear that? The only way for one prisoner to go free is if all of the prisoners began to go free. And so, Paul, you're a great Paul. Paul begins to worship. He begins to lift his voice and he begins to sing. And the scriptures tell us that as he and Silas sing, that all the other prisoners that are attached to them, all of the other prisoners that are in the same cell as them, begin to experience the freedom that was initiated by these guys. 
Listen to me, if you get nothing else out of this service, get this. Your worship is bigger than you. Your ability to lift up a song of praise in your prison cell is bigger than you, and here's why. There are others in the same cell as you that need the freedom that you've experienced. There are others walking through sickness. There are others addicted to the same substance. There are others who are dealing with their own pain and trauma, but it's a lot like yours, and they don't know how to lift their voice yet, and their only hope at freedom is if somebody else begins to sing the song first. If someone else is willing to lift up their voice. And mark my words, just as it was for Paul and Silas, it is for you. They're listening. They're listening right now. I know it looks like they're not interested in God. I know it looks like maybe their eyes are closed and they're sleeping in the cell next to you. But while their eyes are closed, their ears are open. And they are listening to your sound. And as it was for Paul and Silas, so it is for you. As you begin to open up your voice and you begin to sing, yes, your chains begin to fall off. But there's a reaction that takes place. And the chains of every other prisoner that's attached to you, that's walking through the same thing you're walking through, begins to experience freedom because you were bold enough to open up your mouth from your cell. Thank you. You may all take your seat. Hallelujah. Awesome. This happens in this room every week, and you may not even realize it. In the spirit, there are people that are being liberated because someone's willing to sing, because someone's willing to open up their mouth. I think about the guy Ivan who was baptized last week, and Ivan began to share from the baptism tank that for years he felt unworthy to be baptized. He felt like he had to clean himself up before he came to God. But in this environment, he discovered that that wasn't God's plan. That in fact, the freedom he was looking for and the cleansing he was looking for was on the other side of baptism, not before he got into those waters. And because he worshiped God through the act of baptism and was obedient to share his story, guess what? There were some other prisoners in the room last weekend sitting in the same cell of unworthiness that began to experience freedom from their chains as a result of Ivan being willing to open up his mouth. I talked to somebody after the service and they said, that's been my problem for years. I have, I felt unworthy for years, but if God can do it for him, come on, he can do it for me. That happens all the time in here. In fact, that's my prayer every single week. As I think about this space and we pray for the weekend, I often see this image of people getting caught up in a wake, walking into this room, not knowing what to expect, but, but as the saints begin to lift their voices, as liberated prisoners begin to sing, then those who have never tasted freedom get swept up into the song of the redeemed and they begin to experience liberty as a result of somebody else's song. And you know why I pray that? I pray that because it was my experience. I pray that because when I was 18 years old and I was walking through it, I came into church one Sunday with a whole lot of my own chains that I brought with me. And sitting in that environment, it was not a great act of faith on my part that brought freedom to my life. I did not walk into that room and say, today I will become a man of the Lord, hallelujah. No, I walked in broken and chained and imprisoned. And yet a group of people that I didn't even know began to lift up their voices 
The song of some liberated prisoners began to resonate with something that I desperately needed on the inside of me. And I experienced freedom because of somebody else's song in the room. And that happens here. Someone over here starts singing while they're walking through sickness and someone who's dealing with it over here begins to get set free. Someone who's working with addiction over here has experienced freedom because someone over here, I'm not pointing at you in particular, they're experiencing addiction and they're lifting their voice in the middle of it. But freedom is hitting the room because other prisoners are lifting up their voices and saying, I will sing in the middle of what I'm facing right now. Your worship has the power to set other prisoners free. Last one, number three, and I'll invite the band to come so that we can begin to worship again one more time. Last thought. My worship has the power to set those who imprisoned me free. Those who imprisoned me free. At first glance, it would appear that the greatest miracle of this story is the miracle of liberated prisoners. A couple of guys who are no longer in prison as a result of their worship. But I want us to consider before we close today that there is in fact a greater, perhaps more ignored miracle in this text, but one that matters quite a bit more than a couple of free prisoners. And that is the miracle of unexpected salvation. Remember what happened, right? The couple of guys worship, Paul and Silas are lifting their voices and as they worship, the chains fall off and the prison doors open. And then the jailer, the jailer comes and he runs to the feet of Paul and Silas and he gets down on his hands and knees and you almost picture him grabbing them by their garments and he says, guys, I, I need your freedom. I, I need what you have. How do I find this Jesus that just set you free? The, the, the same guy who moments before was standing guard on the other side of the prison door ensuring that these guys wouldn't leave is now running to the feet of the liberated prisoners and saying, how do I get the freedom that you have? And as I was considering that this week, I just began to see an image. And this may not be for everybody in the room today, but it's for some of us. I begin to see the image of a lineup of jailers. Those who have stood on the outside of your personal prison and almost mockingly shake the keys, say, I know that I'm still holding you captive in there. I know that you wanna get out, but here you are years later and you're still stuck in that prison cell because of me. I, I begin to see ex-spouses that have been standing guard abusive fathers, absent dads, family members that committed acts of injustice against you. People that probably don't even think about what they did to you anymore, but you do. And emotionally, mentally, you still find yourself in a prison cell. But I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, if you can begin to lift up your voice even there, in that dark part of your heart that you don't even talk about anymore, in the cell that you've been subjected to for decades, if you can begin to praise God from a place of pain, a place of abuse, yes, that praise even has the power to cause those who put you there in the first place to come running to your feet say, I need what you have. I don't know how you can worship right now. I don't know how you're okay, 
but what you don't realize is that I'm in my own prison cell. I know it might look like I'm free because I'm on the other side of these bars, but I got my own prison I'm dealing with. Yeah, they, someone else hurt me, which is why I hurt you. Someone else betrayed me, which is why I betrayed you. Someone else abused me, which is why I abused you. And I just didn't know how to do anything else, but I need the freedom that you have. What do I have to do to be saved? Man, what, what a powerful testimony to worship that it can set even those who put you in that prison free. My worship can set me free. My worship can set other prisoners free. My worship can set those who put me in prison free. I, I bet you there's some people here today that, that need that kind of freedom. I, I would be willing to bet that there are some folks in the room today who find themselves with some chains or an aversion of prison that the Holy Spirit would say, today is the last day you, you're incarcerated. Today's the last day you're gonna live there. And, and so what we're going to do as we did last week is we're gonna conclude with worship. We're gonna sing another song, a song of, of liberty. But as we do, let me just remind you as we did last week, this is not an invitation to leave the room. Why? Because maybe you're good, but someone else needs your song today. Someone else needs you to sing. Someone else needs your freedom. So as a family, we're gonna lift up our voices. And here's what I believe is gonna happen. Without any hype or manipulation, I believe the Holy Spirit is gonna sweep into this room in a powerful way. And in the simple act of singing a song, years of damage, brokenness, fear, anxiety, depression, abuse, I believe it's gonna lift in a second in the presence of Jesus. And we're gonna to begin to sing the song of a redeemed prisoner before we leave this place. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet and uh, one last time, can we lift our hands towards heaven and just let's invite the Holy Spirit right now. From our prison right now, we invite, we invite the presence of Jesus. We speak 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we invite freedom into this environment right now. God, I pray for a moment, a marking moment for people in your house today that they'd be able to look back on and say, it was that day that the foundation shook, that the doors opened and my chains fell and I was set free for good. We praise you in advance for it. We give you all the praise and honor as we sing this last song. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God all we've got before we get out of this place this morning. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.